When the Devil Drives by Chris Brookmeyer Narrated by Sarah Barron Part 1 Chapter 1 This Filthy Witness I took her life. I cannot deny it. Never have done. At least not to myself. Beneath a vast black star-spattered highland sky with our colleagues, our friends, oblivious in the great house nearby, I took her life. I took her life, and my life was the better for her death. That is undeniable also, unpalatable perhaps, an ugly truth, but a truth just the same. I have lived with this for three decades. I will not lie and claim not a day goes by that I don't see her face. That may have been true once, during those first months, even first years, but in time... The intervals between my recollections became greater, the fear incrementally diminished, the guilt more dilute. I can still see her now, though, as vividly as on that night. I can still picture her face vibrantly alive, filled with colour and expression, and I can picture it blank and empty and drained, like a reflection of the full moon above. My memory of her is not faded only stored away like the scene paintings from a struck set. Every so often something inside me calls for a revival. No stage illusion, no theatrical artifice, no trick blood would ever look convincing enough to me again. That night I learned what death truly looked like. I can still see the pale skin of her arms and legs in that short-sleeved dress, her limbs folded awkwardly about her where she lay, like a ventriloquist dummy or a marionette, a doll's eyes locked forever in a glassy stare. It was not a stare that accused. It stared past me, focused on a place no longer in the same world as the one I inhabited. She lay in the soft earth, the moon shining down to dimly light her funeral procession, trees her pallbearers, the eyes of timid, fearful creatures, blinking unseen as they bore witness, and one of those timid, fearful, unseen creatures would turn out to be human. No words were spoken over her grave, no tributes, and no tears. It was solemn, however, and silent. I could hear music coming from the house. It sounded distant, disconnected from this place I was standing, an island in time where no one yet knew what had happened. And yet it was so close. All it would take was someone to come looking for me, for her, and that island would be engulfed. I had the chance to maintain that disconnection, but as it carried on the night air, the music reminded me that I had to act fast and remain resolute. They say that justice, like love, is blind. I knew that I must deny both. She would not have justice. I would not have love. But for all that, I would live free. I would not spend my best years in prison as the price of one moment of desperation. I knew the decision I was making, and I'll tell you now that I would make it again. For all my guilt, from which I have never been free, I know that my life, and more importantly my future family's lives, were served better by my actions than any notion of justice would have been served by the truth. Each death changes the world, not so much as each birth, True, but certain deaths change the world more than others. 
This death changed so many worlds, so many lives. At the time, I saw only how it would change my own. But the roots and tendrils already intertwined between so many of us, though some of us had known each other mere weeks, meant that we would all be in some way transformed. Ibsen said that to be oneself is to kill oneself. He meant that in order to truly become who you are, you must first kill off all the other possible selves you might be. If you don't, you become as pure gint, like an onion, each layer peeling away to reveal another, but with ultimately nothing at its centre. None of us finds who we really are without sacrificing those other selves and cauterizing the stumps where we severed the dreams that held them in place. Sometimes we kill off those other selves, and sometimes they are killed for us. A young woman's life ended that night, all the selves she would ever be.